Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Many people in Northeast Ohio are forced to make tough choices. Unexpected expenses, prescription costs, and rising heat costs are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table, and they are forced to make tough decisions, which often results in hunger. But you can help. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals. Donate today by visiting harvestforhunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast on a Friday. Chris Fedor, Joe Varding. Joe is in, uh, are you in San Francisco or Oakland? Where do you stay when you're out there? San Fran? San Fran. San Fran. I'm back here in Bay Village. Uh, boy, do we have a lot to talk about as the Cavs lose game one, uh, gut-wrenching loss for the Cavs in game one, overtime loss, 124-114. But of course, Joe, nobody's really talking about overtime or anything that happened in overtime. The conversation has shifted to all the stuff that happened in the final minute of regulation. Um, Can you, like, I just want to <laughs> jump in right there. I just, actually, I just got off the phone with my mother. Uh, okay. And we were talking, and I, I mean... I made this comment, which is the Cavs are a resilient group. Um, they have been all season. If you think about all the different stuff they've been through and yet here they are, like they've come back in games, they've won, you know, games after disasters, things like that. But no one could, could rightfully be expected to overcome what happened in the final 36 seconds of last night's game. Uh, of of regulation like you just and and I know we're going to spend the entire podcast talking about those two things that happened but like there is just no way just no way that that anybody could have reasonably expected them to come out and find a way I think to win in overtime um given what happened to them I just I just don't see it no, I agree with you. I think those are the kinds of things that happen throughout the course of a game when you feel like you have it won and then you feel like it's taken away from you and it's clear that that's how the Cavs felt after the game. That's what they were saying after the game. That's what LeBron said. That's what Ty said. So when you have a game like that and you feel like it's been taken away from you, it's hard to just, in such a short time, you're right, turn around, regroup, regather yourself, get your emotions at a level where they have to be against the Warriors for five more minutes. Um, I wrote last night, Joe, that it's going to be a hard one for the Cavs to get over, Uh, not just them having to get over it in overtime last night, um, but to get over it in time for game two is going to be difficult in of itself. Yeah. And I mean, right. And that's, I think that's, you know, that's why we're not discussed. No one's talking about, <laughs> you know, how the Warriors got their act together in overtime because uh, should never have been in overtime. All right. So uh, what had the Cavs irked the most after the game, would you say? Yeah. I mean, you definitely get the sense um, that it was the change block charge call, I think, overall. Um, I, I think that was the thing that that everybody, uh, at least that's what everybody was talking about. Um, I, I I don't, uh, I, I'm not sure that everyone buys that, that JR knew um, what the score was. I mean, you can clearly see uh, the footage of the, the game broadcast in which he appears to say to LeBron, 
I thought we were up. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I think that, um, I think the players are upset about that as well, but uh, you know, this, the, the change call um, it, it, in a way, like it, it reminded me of that feeling I had um, in whatever year that was when there was the, when all, when the Browns fans threw the, the bottles on the field, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, that was a game against the Tennessee Titans. Jacksonville. It, oh, J- Jacksonville. That's right. Jacksonville. And um, I don't remember the exact, I think, I think like Quincy Morgan was ruled originally ruled that he, he caught the ball and the Browns like ran up to the line. They appeared to snap the ball. And after the snap, they reviewed the previous play and he didn't catch it. Um, but the fans like believing they know the rule that you can't review a play after the previous one had been written, mm-hmm. lost their minds. Like you're not supposed to be able to do that. Uh, and so then, like last night, you know, I, I think you can make a very, very strong case that that was a block. Um, right. LeBron was moving. He, he wasn't set. He wasn't even really in front of him, um, at least not squarely. Uh, but LeBron was clearly outside of the charge line. Mm-hmm. Clearly. It, it, it wasn't close. And so to make the suggestion that there was question as to whether or not he was in front of the charge line. So that's why we reviewed it. That's poor officiating um, for, for, for none of them to be sure where LeBron was given that he was so far in front of the line. Like yep. there, there was no, there was no real justification to review the play. I believe they got the call correct, but I'm sorry. Like the, you know, the way that the rules are written and the way sports goes, like, Sometimes you're going to miss those bang bang charge block calls, and they missed that one and shouldn't have had, uh, you know, I guess shouldn't have had the right to 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 change it. I mean, given that LeBron was was way outside the line, so it's a tough one, man. It's uh, whew, it, you know, and and they were, I mean, it, it was like they had the feeling in in there was like they had lost a close final series. Interesting. That was the kind of like looks and tones and quiet and things like that. It was, it was, it was really something to behold. The interesting thing about replay is like, if you're going to change something because you felt like the guy was like hovering over the charge circle or he had his foot on top of it, like that no longer becomes a judgment call, right? Or, like, if a guy is out of bounds, like, you can clearly see that. Or if it's a two-pointer versus a three-pointer, like, that's no longer as much a judgment call. A block charge is always a judgment call. It's the view that you have when the play is occurring, and one ref might see it one way, another ref might see it another way. So to change a judgment call that happens in real time based on something that you see slowed down I think that's a really slippery slope. Um, And I was surprised that they were actually willing to change it like that, Joe. Um, I agree with you. I I thought it was a block as it happened. Um, But I can understand how somebody would have looked at it and saw a charge. Um, And if you feel like, okay, one ref had it one way and the other ref had it another way, 
um, and maybe we should actually take another look at this and you want to finagle the, the way that the rule is written so that you can go to it, maybe call a jump ball there instead of overturning it to give the other team two free throws. And, and I just thought the way that they handled it and the explanation that they gave, uh, they probably didn't do themselves a lot of favors. No, they they really didn't. I, it was just it was. Um, I mean, the Cavs are beside themselves uh, over the officiating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they felt like both plays uh, where Cavs were called for fouls on attempted steals, um, strips uh, of Durant. They thought both of those calls were ridiculous. Um, I'll be honest, there was too much happening in real time <laughs> for, for me to be able to make a comment there. Yeah, um, that's fair. I haven't seen either of those plays in, in replay. Um, I thought one of them appeared from my seat to be clean. But, again, like where I'm sitting and what's going on, it's like I don't have the benefit of replay in real time. And then, you know, the, the plays I've seen over and over again were obviously the block charge and then JR. So, yeah, I don't know. But the, they're just – they are, um, you know, they're, they're really – really upset about it and you know you you try to always say like an official officials don't cost you a game and and clearly you can make that case in in this instance um with what happened at the end with jr um there was some guys obviously who didn't shoot it well mm. uh, there were a couple of rough turnovers but the Cavs played for them really well yeah. and uh you talk about a window being open there um I, you know, they certainly would feel like that. <laughs> that was it. That was their chance there. I wrote this last night um, after the game ended, and I know uh, they can lament some of those missed calls, and they're going to, and those things are going to sting, and there's no doubt about that. Um, and they can be mad at J.R. Smith for not understanding the situation. Maybe LeBron could be mad at himself for not calling timeout, or Ty Lue not calling timeout, or J.R. not calling timeout. Like, when he's that frazzled and it's clear that he doesn't understand what's going on, somebody can bail him out. Somebody can save him from himself. I mean, that's what the coach is for, right? Right. I mean, that's what LeBron James could be for. Uh, that didn't happen. So they can lament that. Um, and I just think, you know, the Cavs aren't the Raptors, and I understand that they're mentally tougher than the Raptors because they're a championship team and they've overcome a lot of adversity and they've been able to pick themselves off the mat numerous times not even just during the regular season, but in this postseason as well. But I had that same kind of feeling. Like, in these kinds of swing series, sometimes the games you let get away, you never get a chance to recover from, and you never get back. And I had the same feeling last night. It was all there for the Cavs. The Warriors were coming off a really tough seven-game series against Houston. They didn't have Andre Iguodala. They didn't seem engaged for stretches throughout the game. The Cavs looked like they wanted it more. It looked like they outworked the Warriors. They were the tougher team. They were the better team in terms of preparation and execution. Um, LeBron James was unbelievable in the game. Kevin Love had a double-double, and he played well coming off a concussion, and he showed that he can play at times against the Warriors. I thought Jeff Green gave him something off the bench. So, you go on and on and on about some of the positive things that the Cavs did in game one, Joe, and then you have to try and process how they lost that game. 
And I just think that's the one that got away from the Cavs that to me is probably going to keep it from being um, an upset. You know, I, I just, um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, certainly you can like this, this can all be true. Um, you know, they, th- this, this team, like sort of the, the one constant of course over the last four years is LeBron. And then, you know, Tristan and Jr have been a part of all four finals. Um, yep. Of course, Kevin missed the first one. Um, and, and they have, the Cavs actually, like, when they lose the worst, they, their worst losses in the finals. Um, I actually may write this in the more I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Their worst losses have always been followed by wins. Always. Game one, they lose in overtime, 2015. They lose Kyrie Irving for the season. Uh, they come back and win game two. LeBron's pounding the floor in, in like triumph and exhaustion at the end. 2016, game four, uh, you know, chance to tie the series. It's right there. Um, they blow it in the final minute, uh, I think. Or, or did they? No, they, they, no. Were, they, they were getting beat. Yeah. Um, but – that's yeah. That like Draymond gets you know there was that mix up in Draymond. But anyway, mix they lost. Game four. They needed, they needed. I, I like how you phrased that mix up because from yeah. from my view in 2016, that was LeBron saying, "All right, we're about to go down three one. What can I do to yeah. shift the series in our favor now?" So I'm gonna but, get into it with Draymond. I'm gonna. But that was that was the loss where you felt like this is tough. Yeah. Uh, right. And of course, we know what happened. Yep. Uh, and then last year, game three with the Corver three. Yeah. Um, and then the Cavs came back and won game four. So they could – history suggests that, that they actually very well could win this game. But, you know, you mentioned Andre Iguodala being out. Um, I, I wonder if he plays in game two. And if he does, you would think – that he dramatically changes everything. Um, I thought Kevin Love was actually really good. Yep. Game one, and he of course took advantage of the the lesser Warriors lineups that are out there because of Iguodala's injury. Mm-hmm. Um, if Iguodala's playing, Kevin Love does not get a chance to go against Jordan Bell or or Kevon uh, Looney. Mm-hmm. Um, he just doesn't. Now he's got to go. Now he's got to deal with Draymond, and that's that's not going to work. Um, history has shown that it, it doesn't. And so now, you know, what, what do the Cavs do? Do they, do they allow that mismatch or do they go away from their second best player? Um, so, so there, there's, there's that. And then like, there's just this, this thing of trying to determine what's really going on in this series. Um, I, you know, I had come into the series really thinking and, and kind of feeling like, the Cavs have no chance, um, and so this is kind of kind of be like kind of like a, a nostalgia tour. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of enjoy it, and then was kind of sucked in by <laughs> how brilliantly they played and how they they should have won the game. And so now I'm kind of stuck. Like, well, is this series different, or was this their one chance? And I think you can make an argument both ways. Yeah. Okay, well, make the argument. What 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 was your feeling after? Do you think this is a series after all based on what you saw in game 1? Did you see enough good things from the Cavs that you think 
can carry over to the remainder of this series? Or do you look at it as this was their chance to steal one? This was the opportunity that they let slip away. You tell me. Well, I'm, I'm leaning more towards the latter and, and it's because of um, a no, no Iguodala in game one, which I really think makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's because Iguodala has in the past made life more difficult for LeBron. Um, I, I highly doubt he will be able to uh, when he's out there. Uh, I just because even if he plays, I don't think he's going to be a hundred percent. And LeBron is playing at such a level right now that I, I don't I don't know that he's guardable um, right at this point. But again, as we just said, like the 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 look that Iguodala gives the Warriors. Um, basically neutralizes the Cavs' second-best player. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, Chris, which you and I both know, is that when the Warriors are right, they are a horrible matchup for the Cavs because probably the worst matchup in the league for the Cavs. Worse, Worse than the Pacers, worse than the Celtics, because when they're at their best, the Warriors have four elite offensive players who move the ball, quickly uh, and cut and, you know, have just the ability to find the open shooter and get to the basket based off of movement. And the Cavs are a, by, you know, from all season, a poor defensive team that struggles to communicate, which is what you would need to do to be able to stay with a team that moves the ball like that and cuts like that. And then the Warriors can be a swarming defense and the Cavs, remain an isolation offense and they traded their second best actually their 1a isolation player didn't replace him and still play that way so this shouldn't it shouldn't be a good matchup um i'm hedging a little because the warriors have the they don't look like themselves um and I, and i think there is enough evidence now uh, if you look at like the course of the rocket series and you look at what's what happened last night to, to just wonder if like, if, if the warriors we're seeing now is, is who they are. And if that's true, I think they're going to win the series. Um, but the, the Cavs would have a chance to make it a series. Hmm. So that's where I am on this. That's an interesting way to look at it. Um, One takeaway that I had after last night and watching some of the guys in the podium and in the locker room and stuff like that, Joe, um, I wondered going into this series if the Warriors felt like the Houston Rockets were their NBA finals. Um, And I got the sense that the Warriors fans felt that same kind of way. And Oracle wasn't, it didn't appear to be as lively as it usually is. And All season long, Steve Kerr has been trying to fight against the Warriors' own complacency and playing with the opponent, kind of like the kid in school that doesn't pay attention um, until they absolutely have to, until they're really, really tested, and they feel like they're finally um, being taught something that they didn't know. You know what I mean? Yes. And I feel like the Warriors, the way that Steve Kerr phrased it all season long was, we need to have appropriate fear of the opponent. 
And I just never felt like the Warriors had that appropriate fear of the Cavs. And it might be their own ego. Um, It might be coming off the Houston series. It's just I didn't feel like the Warriors had the same level of respect for the Cavs uh, going into this series. And and maybe game one is going to be a wake-up call for them. And maybe they needed to to feel uh, what it was like for four quarters uh, against the Cavs before they can really feel like, okay, now we have to turn it on. This is the level that we have to get to against this particular team. It was just, I don't know. It was, it was an interesting way that they handled the game, I thought. And they were even chuckling and giggling in their post-game press conference. And it's like, this is the NBA Finals. Are they going to treat it like the NBA Finals? And I just didn't feel like they did last night. Well, um, if if you're if you're right, I, I think that I think that bodes well for the Cavs, without a doubt. Because, um, yeah, I mean, just yeah. If if you're right, if if everything that happened last night still doesn't have their attention, and that's what's wrong, that they're just not. They're just not locked in, um, you know. Then, then I think, yeah. Then, I, then maybe the Cavs can get Game Two and send this back to Cleveland, and we'll see. You know, th- the other thing now. This is now three games between these teams. Um, do you know that that all of the games have been close for most of the game? Um, this year, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Yes. You know, and it's just – it's funny, like, because when the Cavs lost at home uh, on January on, – on Martin Luther King Day, um, you know, they had a bad fourth quarter, and they lost. And that was the game where LeBron, Kevin – like, the veterans were just – they were – is basically when they were saying, we don't have enough. Like, we don't – the roster's not right. We can't compete. Yeah. And, and while a lot of us agreed with them overall and had just kind of seen how things have been going, it was a little strange to me that, that they picked that moment to make the, the, the declaration just because they had played a reasonably good game, you know, against the defending champs. Yep. And that, that is, that's another thing that just makes me wonder if the Cavs can actually make this a series because – if you think about the times where the Cavs have been clearly overmatched this year, which has happened, um, it's never been against the Warriors. And um, I don't know. Maybe it's just that familiarity. and Maybe it's just, um, like you said, some complacency on the Warriors. And also LeBron's just ridiculous. Um, you know, maybe this will be closer than I thought. How much better do you think the Cavs can play than they did last night? I mean, they got a 51-point performance from LeBron. Like, you have to win those games when you get those kinds of performances because expecting – and I know it's LeBron, and we've come to expect – I mean, I've used the term masterpiece I don't know how many times in my writing throughout the course of this playoff run, and I'm sure you've used some synonym of that as well. I I, I don't know how much you can expect this – from LeBron, the 51, 8, and 8 on 19 of 32 from the field. But the Cavs overall, how much better do you think they can play than they did last night? Well, I, so, we, so we know, first of all, that almost any time you're going to beat the Warriors, you have to play an excellent game. Right, right. Um, and so to answer your question, the Cavs closed the second and third quarters 
horrendously. Mm. Uh, one was 16 to five. I think the other one was 14 to five. Um, so if they can keep their stuff together at the end of the quarters, that's, that's one thing. The second thing is you did have some players, some role players who had really rough nights shooting the ball. Um, so while you can't expect LeBron to have another 51 points on 32 shots, um, you can't expect Jordan Clarkson to, to, to make a three or two. Um, so that's six less points you need from LeBron. Um, Jeff Green was pretty bad until the fourth quarter. Um, Kevin missed six threes, I think, uh, and, and, and on and on. So there are, thing, there, there are some improvements they can make on the margins. Um, to to get th- that could equal the same kind of of team effort, mm. um, but they can't play much better than they did. And the thing is, is like you don't know if they're capable of doing anything more than they did. Like, like could were there improvements the Cavs could make? Yes, yes, there were. Are they capable in totality of playing better than they did last night? I don't know. You know the the play that gets lost, Joe, by the block charge thing and, and J.R. Smith's blunder. George Hill is an eighty percent career free throw shooter, and he's up there with a chance to give the Cavs a one point lead. And who knows, maybe the Warriors would have been able to draw something up in the timeout. But when you're down one and all the pressure is on you, and you're taking those shots, whether it's Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, whoever it is, um, it's a lot different. So George Hill is up there and 80% free throw shooter and he misses the second one. You know, this is a guy who he has been craving the final stage for so long. He didn't think he was going to get this opportunity when he was floundering in Sacramento. And you just feel for a guy like that in that moment. Um, And that preceded J.R. Smith's huge blunder. You know, J.R.'s play was actually a really good play. Kevin Durant gave a lazy effort. He went ball hunting instead of boxing out J.R. Smith. J.R. grabs the rebound, gets another offensive rebound. The Cavs had 19 of them on the night. They out-rebounded the Warriors by 15 on the offensive board, so they get another offensive rebound, another second-chance opportunity, and then he blows it. But I feel like George Hill has to be thanking J.R. for taking some of the heat off of him today because if that play doesn't happen that way, you know, George Hill is the guy who's probably getting eviscerated on a day like today for missing the second free throw. I was, uh, I was stunned. Um, I, I was stunned with how that all went down because, you know, in the moment, uh, George goes to the line and I'm thinking he's never, he's literally never been in this situation before. He just literally never has. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, I, I don't know how he's going to respond. And the first shot was so true. I yep. mean, like, it came out of his hand beautifully. And so then with the second one, he it was so clearly short. It barely made it. I know. Um, it, yeah, that, that's just tough. And you know, I mean, the Cavs actually, for as bad as they've been all year defensively, they actually have the personnel to guard the Warriors in a four second situation. Like you can throw Jeff green out there. You can put Nance out there. If you mm-hmm. need to go big. Um, I even thought, uh, you know, I mean, Steph had a big game, but he and, and Durant um, both had relatively tough night shooting. Um, 
you know, the other thing that we're not talking about, and I just, I don't know that we can get into this. I, I, uh, the whole night started very strangely. I thought with Dan Gilbert's tweets, Mm. um, just, and it actually still leaves me with kind of like an uneasy feeling. Um, you know, I, I, I thought he was clearly responding to some comments that LeBron had made to Rachel Nichols. Um, and it just felt, I don't know. It just felt like a very strange time to kind of make these statements like he did. Um, and of course, we're not really talking about that today either. It's like, <laughs> you know, on a night yeah. where LeBron scores 51, the, the greatest, I mean, the greatest uh, performance in a loss in finals history. Yep. Um, and, and Dan starts the night subtweeting him. Um, and those things are footnotes. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to think about what it takes for teams to win or lose a finals game. And it's unbelievable to think about the twists and turns just in the final minute of regulation. Um, and some of the plays that have gone um, without even mention. There was so much throughout the course of that game, so much to get into. Um, but you're right. Because we're limited on time, we'll have to hold that Dan Gilbert thing um, because I thought that was fascinating as well. Maybe we'll do that on the next podcast. Try and remind me to do that. You ready for questions? Yeah, let's do Good man, because uh, it's a kind of a tight day, so let's do yeah. this. All right. Uh, Timmy S24, he wants to know, loyal listener to the Wine and Gold Talk yes, podcast. So. Don't forget, you can subscribe on iTunes. You can give us a like. You can tell your friends about it. You can also find us on Google Play. Uh, we'll post this podcast a little bit later. Um, on multiple forums. So there are a lot of different places. Yes, absolutely. Uh, He says, starting lineup had a 133 defensive rating last night. Jeff Green defended Durant very well. How quickly should Ty consider a lineup change? Uh, Not quickly. Um, You're not going to see that until Iguodala returns. And then even so, um, I just don't know how you manage this if you're Ty. you have two players who can consistently score the ball. Two. Um, yep. I, it, it's the ultimate conundrum. So I, I don't think changing the starting lineup is, is the answer. Second part of said question, how big of a leash is uh, it on Clarkson? And could they give Hood or Jetty a chance? Well, they could. Um, I, I actually thought that so, – so, about you know, Clarkson – I don't know what to say about this. Um, he, he says he's not nervous. He says that, it, that he's not that – that the moment's not too big. It's just uh-huh. he's got to find a rhythm and make shots. I've been watching this man shoot now for four rounds of playoffs, and everything coming out of his hand is short, literally everything. Um, so to me, that speaks to nerves. I don't know. But he played really hard last night, right. and he has been kind of playing hard his whole time. Um, and I just, he, he kind of, he gives them another look on Steph, um, just gives them like a burst of quickness that I think they think they need. And so I'm not sure that Jordan Clarkson's on a short, uh, short leash. Um, and if they, I, you know, his shots were there, he was open. Uh, if, if he gets the same looks in game two and makes half of them, just half. Even just 40% of them, that they probably win. Yeah. I just think the thing with Clarkson is, Joe, he's a frenetic player by nature. Like, that's who he is. He goes 100 miles an hour on everything that he does, and sometimes that's a good thing because 
it's his aggressiveness that you like. It's his feistiness that you like. It's his, I don't know if you want to call it fearlessness on defense, but just like, I'm going to get up in guys and I'm going to pester them and I'm going to do everything that I can. And sometimes that means a foul and sometimes that means a defensive breakdown and sometimes that means a dumb play on the defensive end. And the same thing with offense. Like, I don't think he has understood how to toe the line between aggressive and reckless. And I think that's why he was available at the trade deadline and the Lakers were like, hey, if somebody takes Jordan Clarkson, you can have Larry Nance Jr., a promising young big man, because that's just kind of who he is. And it's hard to say you want to harness that because it's kind of made him who he is. But at this stage, you kind of want to harness that because frenetic is not going to win an NBA championship. Composure is. Right. And again, I mean, you know, frenetic, fine. Um, you know, we watched him play for two months. Yeah. Uh, the, the, shot, the shot was never short. Now it is every time. Um, all right. So this one comes from V4MSU. Is this the worst officiated game since the Phoenix Spurs game? Well, you know, uh, to quote Kevin, um, they didn't take a step forward. Yeah, that's the best way to phrase it. I thought that was the right way to go about it by Kevin. It was brilliant, yeah. That was really, it was really good. Uh, John wants to know, why didn't LeBron drive the damn ball with 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter when Stephen Curry was switched on to him? Um, you know, stop it. Uh, like, George was going – George was, you know, in Northeast Ohio, we're all football fans. Um, when someone's getting behind you for a touchdown, you grab him. Yeah. Um, George Hill was on his way to a touchdown. That was the right play. Uh, they grabbed him because he was on his way. He was on his way to a, to a, you know a go ahead layup. So that was that was the right play. And that's who LeBron is. Um, I mean, he's always going to try and make the right basketball play, and he's always going to trust his teammates. And by the way, him doing that helped them win Game Seven against the Boston Celtics on the road because he yeah. empowered J.R. Smith. He empowered Jeff Green. He empowered his other teammates in those big moments to prepare them, what he was hoping, for something like this in the NBA Finals. And you're right. I mean, Clay Thompson was in no man's land because he was trying to guard George Hill and he was trying to guard Kyle Korver, two guys at once. LeBron noticed that. And they had an 80% free throw shooter at the line to go up one. I think a lot of people would take that in that particular moment. Of course. What did you make of the way that that Ty handled – game one last night. I thought he was really good. I thought their game plan was really sound. I thought they were better prepared than Steve Kerr and the Golden State Warriors. And I thought it was the Cavs. Now part of this, part of this has to do with personnel and missing Andre Iguodala, but it was the Cavs that made the Warriors adjust and blink first. And that's usually what you want as a head coach. Yeah. I thought Ty had a great night. I mean, I guess the, 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 the issue, the issue would be, um, there was enough time on the clock for someone to realize that Jr. didn't know what he was doing. Right. Um, right. And someone in that situation, probably with about two seconds left before you realize that this is all going the wrong way in a hurry with two seconds left, someone should have called timeout. It should have been LeBron. It could have been Ty. Neither of them did it. Um, so that would be the thing. Otherwise I think Ty had a great game. And I think that even, uh, stick, sticking with Clarkson um, for as poorly as he shot the ball. He actually did some things defensively. 
Um, and obviously, like, they found something here with Larry Nance. Um, so I thought that was good. Last question before we get out of here. I'm sorry. One more. Uh, do you think any discipline comes for Tristan Thompson or Kevin Love? No. Uh, no. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if, if what Tristan did is um, downgraded. And I, I would like – I mean, I've watched this play several times with Kevin. Yeah. He was already on the court yep. uh, before anything happened. And then actually when – the fight began Kevin actually turned around and went back to the bench um for as horrible as the officiating was in game one I it's almost like I I would dare the NBA to also suspend Kevin yeah and it was bad both ways the officiating I thought for an NBA finals game that crew just was not good enough and if that's like the best of the best that you can come up with it's clear that the NBA has a referee problem. And look, I mean, the, the three guys who usually grade the highest in terms of the NBA over the last couple of years either retired or were, were reassigned to different positions within the league office to try and train referees and get the next group coming. So I think this is a byproduct of some of the losses that the, the NBA has had with their referees. But, but I think the one that's interesting, Joe, is Tristan. Not Kevin, because I think that was harmless, and I think you have to use your judgment on that. Um, but Tristan, I think, is going to be interesting because it wasn't just one play against Livingston. Um, it wasn't just throwing the ball in Draymond's face. I guess pushing the ball in his face is probably the better way to phrase it. But there was the play before that one where LeBron blocked Steph Curry that I think too many people are overlooking, and this kind of escalated the entire situation, and Tristan was at the heart of it. As Steph was driving to the basket, Tristan had a flying elbow into the shoulder of Steph Curry. It was not a contest. It was an elbow drop like he was the rock. Um, And he also forearmed Steph in the back when he was in midair. And the result of the play was harmless because Steph didn't go down. But if that's something where Steph goes down hard and they look at the result of that and what caused it, then maybe it's something a little bit different. And if you're not going to focus on the result and you're going to focus on the action, that's a borderline dirty play by Tristan Thompson when the game is already out of reach. And then after that play, the immediate aftermath of that was him jawing with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry along with LeBron James. And then after that was him taking, I think, an unnecessary cheap shot at Sean Livingston because he didn't want him to take the shot. And I think the referees saw all of that, and they were trying to keep something from happening. Unfortunately, something did happen, and there was the uh, on-court scuffle uh, between all of the different guys because Tristan Thompson and Draymond Green got into it. But I think the refs were trying to prevent that particular thing from happening in the final seconds. And that's why they kicked Tristan Thompson out of the game because they saw all of that escalating and him being at the heart of all of it. So I think it's going to be interesting because there were three plays, three different incidents involving Tristan Thompson. Well, we'll see. All right. Uh, last two-minute report will come out sometime this afternoon. I'm sure Cavs fans are going to be hitting refresh over and over and over again on the NBA page. And uh, we'll talk again soon as the Cavs try and rebound and get ready for game two, buddy. Okay, man.